So now what? Save the world? Anyone could be one of them. Controller. Trust no one. Welcome to Thought Speak, a podcast dedicated to the discussion of K.A. Applegate's 1996 book series, Animorphs. I'm your host, Coleman. And I am your other host, Mitchell. And today, ladies and gentlemen, we have a fine program on tap for you, don't we, Coleman? An okay program. And I say that not as a... Wow, you're, you're really me. taking the energy down, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, this I just was mean... a big deal. No, I'm just saying, you know, we talked about this a little before... And, you know, this is our first Chronicles, our first big episode, Megamorphs Chronicles, that we don't have a third guest. It's kind uh, of bumming me out. Yeah, yeah, that is true. Uh, we don't have a, th- a third guest for this Chronicles book, per se. However, uh, a little later today, Coleman and I have uh, managed to embark on one of our greatest, I think, uh, things to come out of this podcast so far. Coleman, would you like to explain? Oh, easily. Easily one of the greatest things to come out of this podcast so far. Um, as much as I love talking to you, at 5 p.m., 3 p.m. Pacific time, today, Saturday, February 20th, 2016. Jeez, get specific. Mitchell <laughs> Mitchell, and I will be talking to Michael Grant, co-creator, co-writer of Animorphs. Co-creator the... of Making Out, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Sweet Valley High Teen. <laughs> we, don't, we don't know, maybe. I don't know, I don't even know if this is the real title. But uh, point is, this is one of my childhood icons. This is the guy I didn't even know at the time. I just knew there was this K. Applegate fellow who was writing these books I loved. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but um, oh my gosh, yeah, we're gonna be interviewing him for Thought Speak. So you guys will be able to listen to that. I assume pretty shortly after this one. Uh, oh, we'll exactly. Probably... Yeah, we'll put it online as soon as we possibly can. Yeah, we'll put a little bit of time. We're gonna hype it up a little bit. So, um, but yeah, just incredibly excited to talk to him. Uh, don't even have all my questions ready. Doesn't matter. Uh, I'm sure it'll just be a great casual conversation with him about his books and what he's writing now and what he did on Animorphs. We're not even going to get out real questions. We're just going to sit there and kind of squeal like little girls <laughs> for <laughs> half an hour. <laughs> Mr. Grant, you remember that time when Marco morphed into a gorilla? That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and... um. Another little uh, update. I don't know if you noticed, but do your ThoughtSpeak hosts just sound just quite a bit better? Do they sound uh, oh, Coleman, smoother? You, you, you can't possibly be thinking nicer. about tooting our own horn oh, on, I'm on the fact that we recently purchased some upgrades for our equipment. We did. And we didn't even ask you, the listeners, to pay for it like so many other podcasts. What? We, you we mean broke... we could have started a Kickstarter and been like, hey, everybody, <laughs> pay for us to entertain you. If no, you guys we wanna... didn't do that. If you guys want to start giving us money, A, we'd really appreciate that. And B, we'll set that up. Just ask. Oh, dude, but... we're starting a Patreon eventually. <laughs> yeah, we will. But, um, or maybe we should just lock the Michael Grant episode behind a paywall. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> Subscribe to our Patreon coming soon, and then you'll unlock the Michael Grant interview. Ooh. No, we would not do that. We will uh, We will have that for everyone to listen. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's always going to be free um, for everybody. There's plenty of Mitchell and Coleman to go around, people. Mm-hmm. But just wanted to let our listeners know that no, do not adjust your radio. Uh, us sounding 100 times better is because we upgraded 
our equipment so that we could bring you a better podcast. Uh, we think it's important that Thought Speak grows and gets better uh, since we think a lot of people are turned on to us now and, and really uh, getting into the earlier episodes. So I want them to hit episode, you know, what is this, 27, 28, something like something that. Something like that. Yeah, uh, I want them to hit this episode and be like, oh, oh, they care about me. They <laughs> care about my ears and what I'm listening to. So. At this point, I, I will say I honestly prefer people to not listen to most of our old episodes based <laughs> on that fact alone. That just I know skip that the invasion. Least, uh, there are at least a handful of episodes where I sound like we recorded on a tin can. And for that, I am ashamed and apologize, but never again, folks. Man, a few of our early episodes actually have an audio interference issue where it pops every, like, uh, two minutes or something like that. And back then, I was just like, oh, well, you know, the content's still good. I don't really know how to <laughs> fix that. We're so. still doing our job, right? Yeah, so, you know... Now that we're about to get into the terrible ghost-written books, I'm glad we were able to improve our podcast. Exactly. That's that's really what counts. I mean, we've got like 60 more episodes to go anyway, so they all mm -hmm. better sound good. Hey, the point is, by the time we get to the end of the series, which is what everybody's waiting for, our shit's going to be on point. So <laughs> We will be masters. We will be broadcasting live by the end. It's going to be Thought Speak <laughs> Live. Oh, we should do a live episode. That'll be our elevator pitch for our sequel series, Animorphs. There you go. Um, but, uh, let's move on with the, the show here today. We are reviewing the Hork-Bajir Chronicles, as you probably saw from the episode title. Big book, as always, all these Chronicles books are. Um, so, uh, let's see. Starting where we usually do, we talk about the covers. And, uh, this is a bit of a uh, conundrum here because Coleman purchased a hardcover Hork-Bajir Chronicles, which I wasn't even aware existed. So that's awesome. While I went ahead and got the soft cover version, and there are some differences. Coleman, you want to describe that hardcover? Well, first off, um, the hardcovers are weird in the Animorphs series that they're kind of random. I saw a hardcover book of uh, number 32, the one where Marco turns into a poodle. So it's, they're just completely random on which books got hardcovers, apparently. And um, the Horpager Chronicles, I, it's the only other hardcover I have. Uh, the other one I have is uh, my original Visor. Chronicles book. Yep, I've um, got the Visor hardcover as well. Yeah, that's a that's a very pretty book. I like it. Uh, yeah. So so no so my my hardcover. Um, I had a dust jacket as well. I don't know where I set that down, but I pretty much it's the exact same as the actual cover, and it's um you've got forward facing, um Horkbajir and you know, anamorph or not anamorph uh, andalite princess <laughs> right uh, <laughs> on the front. It's not really princess, but you know you know how it is. She's like um, a Disney princess. It's princess by association. She's the closest <laughs> thing we have in the Animorph series to that. So um, I've got them just looking at us on the cover with yeah, some they're, they're uh, like chilling space out. behind them. <laughs> Making eye contact. kind of weird. Yeah, all six eyes. All six of them. <laughs> no, well, that's not how many there are. Yeah, there are. There's yeah. six. Okay. <laughs> we did it right, man. <laughs> don't, don't worry. And, uh, you got it. You got a cool font for hork Chronicles. It's kind of neat. Um, yeah, uh, that is a little bit different than the uh, regular font we're used to i like the coloring too it's kind of like a beige brownish uh for the lettering and the kind of it's framework not of it all this this book cover is is uh one that you could carry around and people might look at it almost kind of funny but they'd be like okay it looks like a sci-fi book you know um not like the other books in the series where people look at them and kind of judge you <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i mean i think you'd still get judged for this uh but <laughs> sure. just by the people who wouldn't appreciate like the classic 
like 80s style sci-fi covers. Right. It does kind of feel like a throwback to um, the older sci-fi covers where they're just kind of plain, honestly. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's two characters looking at us with some space in the background. Also, mm-hmm. we are reminded that we can, but we don't necessarily have to, watch Animorphs on TV. <laughs> oh, I don't have that. Yeah, that's... They crammed it into my cover. <laughs> <laughs> um, on the back of mine, uh, I have the just one part of the huge Vista print they made for Horfager Chronicles where it's uh, both of them looking out over uh, a dusk setting with the giant trees in the background. And Yeah, that image uh, that you're describing there actually appears um, in the soft cover as just the, the in-cover image, like, you know, in the normal books where it would be. Um, really cool. I mean, it's like the first full body shot we got of a Horkbajir standing next to an Andalite with uh, a couple other Horkbajir off in the distance climbing a tree that honestly looks more like a rock than a tree, but whatever. And then um, there's a little bit of, uh, you know, a quote on the inside like there normally is. They say that terror is in the deep. <laughs> and, I, oh, man, I mean, do you want to get into this Horkbajir issue I have right now or do you want to wait? Uh, let's just talk about the back cover. You said your back cover is that. Mine is actually a picture, and this is kind of cool. Um, it's solid space, right, with uh, the Horkbajir planet on the back. Really? At least, at least I believe it's the Horkbajir planet. Um, and that's where the uh, the summary of the book is written within the planet. Pretty cool. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, um, and maybe we should read the back. Uh, you're going to have to do that because I don't have one. Oh, you don't even have... The, well, don't you have an, the have summary no writing. on the inside cover? No, nothing. Oh, boy, Coleman, pull up a chair and let me tell you a little story. <laughs> <laughs> the story ahead. of the Horkbajir Chronicles. He is called Dak Hami. His people believe he is a seer that he will be the one who will show them the truth. Her name is Aldrea, daughter of Prince Ciro, daughter of the Andalite who was ultimately responsible for the rise of the Yurk Empire. Their story begins on the Hork-Bajir homeworld, before the invasion, before the terror, before the Yurks. The story that came before Animorphs. Ooh, prequel territory. The Hork-Bajir... I, I'm, I, honestly, I got chills reading that. I did too. I got, I got goosebumps. Dear leader, dear listener, I've got three at home. goosebumps books right over here. <laughs> I got goosebumps. Uh, the, the cuckoo clock of doom popped up next to me. Yeah, that was the random one that I could pull out at the top of my head. That was quick. No, there's lots to choose from. Yeah. So I mean, uh, so that it's it's a good looking cover. Kind of just stands out from um, the other Chronicles books and obviously the regular series. Definitely. They really went full hog uh, with this redesign. Yeah, you want to pitch a fit about the uh, Horkbajir design and them finally settling into the canon of it kind of here and just what your uh, your own images of it had been. Take it away, Coleman. Yeah, and we talked about this early in the earlier episodes, but I mean, with that with those mics, I don't even know if you could understand what we were saying back then. <laughs> right. Uh, so we're going to have to recover a lot of ground. Um, <laughs> so, man, it's just not what I imagined. The first book... I mean, it, it does describe them like this. I've gone back to reread it to make sure that I wasn't crazy. But for some reason, I pictured the Horkbajir as just much more ape-like. Um, I don't know why. I don't, I don't picture the long snake neck, even though, yes, that is described. Um, I don't picture their blades being so reptilian and big on there. And they look like iguanas uh, 
in this final design. Kind of, you yeah, know? you know what? I will I will back you up here by saying that if they hadn't added in the the keywords, the search words, snake like or you know reptilian, anything like that, I agree with you. I, I I never would have pictured reptilian. That that image wouldn't have popped into my head either. I mean, for some reason, this is my own fault, but for some reason, I always pictured like taller, more muscular versions of uh, the Gamorreans from Return of the Jedi, like the the guards in Jabba's palace. Um, I always picture like those with blades all over them. Ha. Huh. Okay, that's an interesting image, and I'm sure that a lot of our listeners probably have their own uh, mental images of what the Hork Bajir should look like. And dear listener. If you want to tell us what you had imagined, please fill us in on our Facebook page, on our Reddit posts, anywhere the conversation can be found. Yeah, and again, I just it's one of those things you picture different. I think I always pictured the Andalites pretty similar to how they turned out um, in the artwork. Well, Andalites are, they're centaurs. Centaurs with stalk eyes. Blue I mean, centaurs, <laughs> yeah. If you really want to get in depth, you tell people they don't have a mouth. Except That's, the tails. That's the only thing that I I don't still like about the designs in the book so far. I think the tails are too clean blade looking. You know, they're like they're like these stuck uh I don't know, some kind of actual like tool blade on the end of their tails. No, I was... I, I'll give it to you. Uh, especially on this inside uh cover image, the way Aldrea's positioned here makes her look like her uh tail blade is like sticking out I mean, it's sticking out in an area that I didn't picture the blade to be in. You know, I, th- I figured the blade would be at the very end of the tail. Like, the blade would be the tip. But yeah, the way it's pictured here, it looks like there's a blade right below the tip of the tail. I always pictured, like, a, a more straight, not a, not super curved, but has a little bit of curve to it. And very, like, looks like a natural horn or something just incredibly sharp. Right. Uh, this looks more like, you know, a talon or something that is attached to the end of their tail. Really? You know, it'd be cool is if there was a difference between like a wild Andalite, like Andalite savages from like the Eliminus Chronicles uh, and modern day Andalites where they like hone their tail. They sharpen it. They take care of it, put oil on it, stuff like that. So <laughs> that it was almost like a black. You ever see those like rhino horns that have been like cleaned up and shaved down for selling as almost like jewelry and stuff? Like no, really I try dark. to avoid people like that. No, when I'm at the poacher's black market <laughs> and I'm, you know, like running my hands over the dead elephant calves, um, you just notice these things. And uh, so, no, I'm just saying, like, uh, I picture almost samurai-like behavior from the Andalites with their tails, like something they really You know, take that's care a really of. cool image. That that uh, would be a very cool... I mean, I think you should tell that to Michael Grant. <laughs> no, I, I read specifically. Here's the thing. I was even going to think about pitching him on uh, on the sequel series ideas and Let, stuff. Let's but, save that for like interview number three maybe or something. Yeah. Well, no, I'm just saying like uh, he, I specifically read in his Q&A on Reddit he just did where we asked him to be on the show if you're following along. Um, he actually mentioned that when people sent them ideas, because some kid called him out and said, hey, I wrote Kay Applegate a letter right. and uh, she used my story ideas in the next book. And, you know, he said to, in response to that, you know, we specifically didn't read plot ideas or things submitted by people because you run into that. That's too much of an issue. If they ever do want to go back to Animorphs, I wouldn't want there to be a Thought Speak episode where we pitch him specifically on our uh, our, ide- our ideas because it's just unprofessional and it's not needed as unsolicited and 
Unless he asked us to do that, I, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> okay, well, let's avoid it then. Uh, I wanted to point or out... Or do it that... anyway. Let's just do it. <laughs> you can't make up your mind with this thing, can you? <laughs> I just wanted to point out the fact that, you know, Andalites talk about how they're hot shit because of their tail blades, but if you look at the picture of the Horkbajir, he's got his own pretty snazzy tail blade right there with Double two tail blade. blades on it. Yeah. I mean, the Horkbajir tail blade kind of makes the Andalite tail blade look like a toy. <laughs> really? Well, a girl Andalite tailblade. I suppose, yes, this is the female. I'm sorry, I can't run across the room right now and grab my Visor book to look what uh, Aleron's tail looks like, but... Um. I didn't necessarily want to bring this up, uh, but the author, or not the author, the um, artist of this image, I think they focused a little too much on the Andalite butt. Uh, <laughs> it's a little... It's very well defined and thought out. Is all okay, I'm saying. I, okay, there is something I would, I would like to point out about this image. Now that we're talking about butts and sexual stuff, it really the way that this Harkvajir's tail yeah. is positioned. Why not would the, you think this was a good pose for him? Not the tail at all necessarily, but just the uh, the legs too. The way the, they where, bend, look well, so how close weird. they are. It's like she's backing up into him. And... Oh, no, yeah, she's totally backing up. Like It looks like she's sitting on his knee almost. And the fact that he's got, like, the V, like, the, the male cleavage yeah. right there. <laughs> and right. Uh, I actually just learned that. That's that's what, for my wife, she told me that. That's male cleavage. That oh, V. sweet. She told me that. Um, anyway, but yeah, I mean, if you just look at, like, the leg shape, the back and like leg shape, and all that, it just looks like, it looks like a bent-over woman. And then there's this giant monster behind it. I'm just saying, <laughs> this is what these are observances don't, that we're making. We're trying to tell you, listener, don't stare at the image for too long. <laughs> and if you're Maybe under the age of like 14, put a piece not of at tape all. over it for the kids. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, we we've decided or dissected this uh, this cover a little what's, too much. Some might say. What say we uh, peer inside the covers? Sure, uh, and, I, I definitely want to talk about this this opening and how. We got this uh, these bookends with Tobias. Oh yeah, sure. I mean, uh, yeah, we get a little opening scene with um, Tobias, very much like he was in uh, book twenty three, just kind of hanging out, doing his thing, and decides to go check up on the Horkbajir for some reason, for some Elemist like reason. <laughs> yeah, well, he, uh, you know, he just feels like he needs to go there, and he's kind of depressed, and um, yeah, it starts out well, and then and then you get into the Horkbajir. It's so weird. So they had to deal with. They wanted to obviously tell this story. They wanted to talk about the Horkbajir and tell this Vietnam parable uh, that we know now is is what it really is. Um, <laughs> and they and it's interesting that they had the issue of okay, we want to tell the story about Horkbajir. We want the Horkbajir themselves to tell it. So we need to make up a couple things in the Horkbajir mythology to make this work because you can't just have this broken language species running around, you wouldn't be able to sympathize them with them very much. They obviously wouldn't be able to tell a very good story. No, but we have had hints, I believe, uh, peppered throughout from some characters uh, about the uh, Hork-Bajir having this more intelligent uh, seer um, throughout their, their people and their history. Really? Where, where have the hints been? I haven't noticed any. Uh, I believe Axe mentioned it in one book. Um, there there like, may have been more uh, to it as well. Hmm. But I know that we've had at least a, a hint or two about the Horkbajir having some kind of um, intelligent gene that only shows itself every so often. I think Axe mentioned it uh, one of the times they were. I can out see with him, him saying and he uh, did his little Pokedex entry on the Horkbajir for him. Yeah, I can see him saying something about an aberration 
in the uh, Hork-Bajir species. Yeah, like there's 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 a mutagen that made them smart. <laughs> which I actually really like that from an evolutionary standpoint, which obviously we know is not the case. But um, I like that idea that a species that doesn't need intelligence has like this slip that can happen whenever there's a feeling of need to communicate with another species. They can, you know, pump out one of these super smart uh, ambassadors. For sure, species. sure. That's with, a really cool sci-fi concept. With with equal parts science and Elemist, anything is possible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so we've got Tobias heading to the hork Valley. Uh, it's like raining, so I guess that's his reason for not being able to leave. It's getting dark and it's raining. So the hork And he's a hawk. <laughs> Jera, Jera Hami sits him down and is like, yo... I'm going to tell you my story. You didn't and know I could is, do this, but I'm going to do Yeah, it. this is another <laughs> weird thing that happens is that apparently when they have to pass on, this also fits into the whole seer thing in that when they have to orally pass on their heritage and their history, they go into this trance and just like tap into that function of their brain. Sure. Um, yeah. It, they apparently get smart enough to tell the story, but you know, I thought since they were, uh, going to introduce Toby in this book. Um, we get a brief glimpse of him, by the way, as, as Tobias is flying into the valley. He mentions he sees a young hork running below, and that is Toby. That's not uh, a that's not a boy though. That's a girl. Toby is a girl. We well, said he. Whatever, Toby. <laughs> um, okay. Toby. Why, why didn't they just make Toby tell this story? I now, get that Toby's not made old a lot enough sense. quite yet, but in book twenty three, Toby's going to war with him. <laughs> Yeah, I think they wanted to make it a re- like a reveal at the end of the book. Like, that's the satisfying ending. Yeah, you know, and that makes a lot of sense. It's supposed to give the reader hope and all that at the end that, you know, a seer for the Hork-Bajir is capable of so much, and now we got one. And it's kind of scary, Thinking on it too. now, book good... 23 was kind of a disappointment for Toby. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's kind of a uh, cool cliffhanger, too, in the sense that you hear the story about a seer being born because shit's about to go down on the Hork-Bajir homeworld, it's cool that at the end you're like, wow, that was a crazy story. You guys went through a lot. And the Horkbridge are like, oh, by the way, we got another seer. Be afraid. You know? <laughs> that's, I mean, that kind of like sets up that something big is happening again that one of these seers were born. I suppose. I guess I hadn't thought of it that way, quite that way. Um, of course, we already for. knew that shit was going down anyway. Yurks are invading. <laughs> well, I know. Well, yeah, but I mean, it gets bigger than that. Yeah, the Yurks are invading another world. It doesn't matter. That's. That's the Tuesday for the Yurk Empire, you know. <laughs> Apparently, this book also reveals um, the Yurk Empire is not quite as old as at least I'd imagined it. Yeah, um, me neither. Seeing as how <laughs> freaking like Alaron was around basically for all of it. I mean, not to pull too much politics into our podcast, but it's it's very similar to like ISIS, where it's one day they're just some rebels who we maybe throw some weapons at and help out. The next day, they turn into a serious enemy. And look at this. This book was written oh, in Oh, yeah. What? No, that's exactly what's happened yeah. in the Middle East. Yeah. And that's this the exact was... same situation as the Yerks. <laughs> it's the exact same situation. We gave them technology, and it's now they're loose. running rampant. <laughs> oh, and man. They're an actual they're an actual country state at this point, almost. Right. It's crazy. Oh. Um, and there's there might be ISIS members among us. Oh, my God, dude. They are the Yerks. <laughs> they're 100% the Yerks. ISIS is the Yerks, and... Michael Grant and Kay Applegate are prophets. I'm calling it right now. <laughs> we need to ask Michael Grant how to stop ISIS. Oh my gosh. And thought speak, we're seers. We were born in a time that needed us. <laughs> <laughs> we are the prophets. Oh boy. This 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 goes deeper than we thought, people. Uh, 
we better <laughs> we better just get into the Horkbajir Chronicles proper. Because <laughs> uh, this story's starting out with uh, this. This was kind of a great intro, actually. It it starts out exactly as you said with um, Aldrea, the main character, the protagonist, uh, watching her father Ciro, um, as you know, he's kind of trying to explain himself, and uh, the Yurk uprising basically happens right in front of our eyes. We witness Ciro's kindness. That's how this book starts out. It's which great. is amazing. Again, me and me and Mitchell have not read this book. Oh, exactly. So, yes, this is, ex- so, this is these are all the questions we've always wondered. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing that we go back and see this. And I just want to say, is there any Animorph story that's about Andalites or references Andalites that doesn't start on the deck of one of their ships? Like that's where every single one starts. <laughs> well, if you think about it, that is like ninety-five percent of where most of them spend all their time. <laughs> it's true. I'm just saying they start the same way every time. <laughs> right. Well, they're a very war-bound race, you know? They're kind of the dicks of the galaxy, really. <laughs> oh, they are. Which is why... The uh, Andalites sequels... are the America of the galaxy. Oh, uh, well, now you can't... Now I can't say what I was going to say, because now it's <laughs> unpatriotic. Thank you. Thank you for that. Nope, it's too late. Messing it all up. <laughs> Russians are the chief. <laughs> I was going to say, in our sequel series, first thing we would do is blow up the Andalite homeworld. Oh, pfft. just saying. It'd be like Vulcan being destroyed in Star Trek. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. Anyway, moving on, man. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we, hey, Chronicles are where I get to go tangent crazy. So, <laughs> Like I said, Aleron's in this whole thing from the very beginning. He's there, you know, pretty much berating Ciro. And I think it's even him who coins the term Ciro's kindness. <laughs> He's like, yeah, he says it offhandedly. It's, it's yeah, he name line. drops it. He like, mm-hmm. you can see him drop the mic after that. Kindness burn. Uh, yeah, Aleron's basically just yelling at Ciro for for letting the Yerks, you know, uh, get a hold of technology, get a hold of some dead bodies, uh, get a hold of some starships, and like fly the hell out of there. Yeah, it's it's cool that you have this intro that you know shows us the scene that we've always wanted to see and we've heard about, and then you go into this kind of time skip. Aldrea is a little older, and it's a it's a not as big of an event. This this family is kind of on the fringes of space now and being sent off far away, where they can't really mess with anything again. They're it's leaving like a in dishonor, lost and, in space. Yeah, and they're just off to kind of try to create a life that's not as big as what they left behind. Yeah, that um, the short the short way to explain it is that they're in exile basically yeah it's not like an official exile it's like not Ciro was sent to a prison world or anything no but you get the I mean, it's heavily implied that you know the, they're the laughing stock of the andalite world and that life is basically over so they're gonna stick us out here on this little backwards planet and uh give us the uh task of watching out for yurks or at least that's what they say they're there to do that and study the uh, native species. The Hork-Bajir? Yeah, the native species. The Hork-Bajir? As far as they're concerned, that's like the only species worth examining at this point. Yeah, and even then, once they start talking to them, uh, you can tell that um, that her father is uh, really disappointed in the lack of intelligence. Because that's why he was so ramped up about the Yurks and so excited about them, was here is a sentient species that intellectually can stand almost toe-to-toe with Andalites, 
Uh, and that's why he gave them so much and gave them technology and, and all of these things because he was excited about meeting um, an ally, sure. a possible ally. Sure. So the hork are a huge disappointment to him. I That makes total sense, yeah. Um, I guess he probably had his hopes up a bit, and then when these large, lumbering, uh, scary-looking creatures come out, and they, they're actually very simple and quite docile, um, yeah, I could see his uh, hopes being dashed to bits there. He pretty much gives Aldrea the task of just talking to him. He's like, oh, these guys are idiots. F this, I'm out. <laughs> yeah. I don't care anymore. This one's a kid. You go talk to him. And yeah. it just so happens the, the Hork-Bajir that uh, runs into him first is Dak Hami, uh, who we get a chapter from his perspective. Um, really cool. I'm glad that this book jumps back and forth between three, count them, three protagonists. Well, yeah, two protagonists and, and the antagonist. Exactly. But it's it's nice to have that little chapter with him to start out with so we can see that he feels like he's chosen for something. Everybody around him is dumber than him, but they keep telling him he's chosen for something and he kind of just doesn't know what to do. Exactly. And the very first chapter we have with Yakimi, uh, his speech patterns are very, very simplistic. Um, you know, like how we have the hork kind of currently in the series. Um, but the more he talks to Aldrea, the more intelligent he becomes since he's the seer. Uh, and by the end, or not even by the end, by the next chapter, he's like a completely different character. I yeah, love that, that. Yeah, it's great. And it's it's great how it kind of explains that and describes it and how he, uh, he says it's almost like an awakening. Like he just sees so much more of the universe and possibilities just from talking to her a few, you know, sentences, it just opens him up to so much. Exactly. Like, he didn't even know what space was. <laughs> exactly. And it makes perfect sense to him once it's explained. That's how intelligent his, and how much possibility there is in his intelligence. Right. Oh, I would like to point out that um, the first two chapters, the rest of them don't do this, but the first two give us uh, uh, <clears throat> kind of like a little information bits before the uh, actual start of the chapter where we get the andalite date we found out that the year in uh the andalites year was uh 8563.5 so the year 8563 and a half in <laughs> andalite years the yerk date is generation 686 early cycle that's how they keep time i, I always liked that i thought that was a nice i touch. love the hork date late cool <laughs> they, they go by seasons <laughs> And then yeah. good old Earth Date, this all happened in 1968. So not long ago. Um, here's the thing. When uh, the Andalites uh, first came to Earth, had this war, I'm talking like book one, um, it made it seem, at least to me, that this uh, war between the species had been going on for like hundreds of years, like a long-standing war. Um, this book gives the, the vibe that it's very much a recent thing that's just starting to happen yeah like last 50 years yes you know. exactly uh like we said aleron who is visor three um is has been in it from the start this poor guy <laughs> yeah and i i i don't know if i like that or not i mean you could see it two ways you could see it as that's how dangerous the yurks are they were able to get this many footholds this quickly uh so i see it from that angle but i, I kind of wish it was a longer rivalry between the Andalites and Yurks. I wish this had been going on for like a couple centuries or something and, and this is where they are now. Well, yeah, you know, and I guess future books could take that approach, but unfortunately for now, this is just how it is, fans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, 
moving on. Um, yeah, we... she really she really just teaches him about the universe and kind of expands his mind. Mm-hmm. Um, we we do get uh, introduced to the Yerk antagonist, Esplin, which is it never sounds right to me when I it say doesn't. it out loud. It's <laughs> he's very uh, he's a great he's a great Yerk to take his perspective from. I wish they weren't as heavy handed with the uh, insinuations of who he was going to turn into. You know, he's oh, I'm just a just a Yerk obsessed with. Andalites, and I know all about them. And oh, I, someday, someday <laughs> I, I I'm gonna have an Andalite body. I'm gonna be the first one. You know, it's it's like that. Uh, it's like that Gotham series. Have you watched any of that? No. It's just like they have a guy on there who works for the police department. His name's Edward Nigma. Oh yeah, he, that guy. Oh, stop your riddles, Edward Nigma. <laughs> you you crazy Riddler. <laughs> it's like it's a little you, over you the top. Prankster, you. Um. <laughs> Sure, I get that. But actually, I, I, I liked this a lot because it showed this diversity between the Yerks that is really only hinted at um, throughout the series. I mean, uh, back in book uh, The Departure, uh, you know, um, I'm blanking on her name now, told Cassie, you know, that there are Yerks that don't want to be part of this invasion and this infestation. And it really is hard to believe them at that point. But um, here you clearly see uh, Visor 3... Or, Sorry, Esplin is is the one of few Yurks who are very excited about the prospects of uh, getting new bodies and expanding this Yurk empire and being more than just he, like I love the scene where he's first and in fact this this first chapter that we're introduced to him he he's uh, getting his first dead body and he describes what it's like to basically look down with eyes and see where you came from. And then realize that there's so much more beyond, you know, what you think there is. And that was kind of like an awakening for him. Whereas a lot of other Yurks he described uh, finding the sensation, like, uh, terrifying. And, you know, a lot of Yurks said, oh, this isn't for me. Clearly, I I need to be back where I'm comfortable. But he was the Yurk who who definitely was like, I got to go as high as I possibly can. So uh, that's 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 Esplan. That's Visor 3. The Yerk that we know is going to eventually become Visor 1 and be the big bad of the series. Yeah, and I think one of the, my favorite things about this book is it kind of makes me wish there was... I know we get a Visor Chronicles, but I almost wish there was a Yerk Chronicles. Oh, definitely. Um, because I loved all the info of like them starting out, creating the Sub-Visor and the Visor um, platforms you know, for their... Yeah, the hierarchy the, is, the is hierarchy. basically created throughout this whole uh, book. Uh-huh, and I love that the Council of Thirteen has always been. You know, that's just... It's that's the oldest ranking they have and just everything that goes into Yurks building their empire and deciding things and, and taking technology and combining it to create, create Dracon, Dracon beans. And right. Oh yeah. The way that they uh, changed um, the Andalite technology to become Dracon beans later on. Um, I really liked that explained how they apparently do have computers that they use as Yurks. Um, I guess they're in the Yurk pool and they, they use them with their palps. Um, mm-hmm. We don't have at this point. Well, actually, we do have a pretty good image of the uh, Yerks if you open up the book, uh, because that is the transformation in the bottom of this. Is that in the uh, hardcover? Um, my transformation is what? Hold on. <laughs> it's a Yerk. Yeah, yeah. It's a Yerk to a. I never checked it out before. A Yerk. It's a Yerk to... like to a monkey. <laughs> it's a really weird one. It's to Yerk a monkey, turning into a monkey, turning to into a horkajir. <laughs> 
And then an and Andalite. Then to an Andalite, and then at the end, it's a human. Yeah, it's it's very, very strange. But um, you do get to see what the Yurks uh, look like in their, their natural form. Um, and it does look like they've got some little fins or something. That, that looks like the uh, the model for Jake there at the end. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, actually, it, it does. That, I think that might be. I love the fact that we get to see, you know, how the Yurks began, how the big bad of the series began. We're learning more about the Yurks' uh, history and technology. All good things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Esplin is convinced that it's his destiny to join the war and uh, learn all he can about Andalites. Yeah, uh, and then uh, back on the Andalite homeworld, Aldria and Dak are... No, not the Andalite homeworld, friend. Sorry. Woo-hoo. The uh, <laughs> the Horkbajir homeworld. Uh, <laughs> Aldria... We're not used to saying it. We're not. We're not. We never go there. Oh, in fact, there is a point in the book that specifically uh, points out how... Uh, oh, man, I thought I dog-eared it, but I guess I didn't. There's a, there's a point where the Andalites are talking about it, and they don't even give the Hork-Bajir homeworld an official uh, name. They just call it the Hork-Bajir homeworld. Yeah. Um, a little disappointed we never got a proper name for it. I assume it'd sound like, like Klingon or something. It'd be like, oh, good job. Well, going by their uh, other terms for things like Jubba Jubba, Galilash, and Gorks, yeah, it's probably not going to be that great of a name. <laughs> but anyway, so Audrey and Dakar. Just bonding, bonding it up, and uh, she fi- she shows him this new technology that not that many Andalites have, which is the morphing yeah. technology. Which again, not to be too critical, but that fact that we get like, oh, we just created the morphing technology, right? So it's like this book is going like prequel as hard as it can. <laughs> I know this was this was a surprise to me, to be honest, because all along, first I had been imagining that the morphing technology was like just a natural ability of the Andalites. That illusion was shattered partway throughout the series when they introduced the uh, the Escafil device. Now, drop this bomb on us that uh, apparently the Escafil device had just then been invented and most Andalites weren't even aware of its existence. Somehow, Aldrea has got access to it because she explains her friend uh, her friend's parent worked on the technology Which or something. Is more is possible, at least, because... Before her father was, um, you know, it, he did Sierra's kindness and was shamed and all of that. And he was probably one of the top officials of the Andalite homeworld. Sure, so. yeah. It, it makes a lot of sense, actually. And my one gripe is that we just didn't get... Um, it seems like that could have been a chapter in its own, you know? If this, if, if Altrea had had her own book besides the hork Chronicles and not the other one that comes later in the series when she comes back... Uh, <laughs> If she had had her own book, I think we'd have seen a chapter of her going to her friend's house, being introduced to the morphing technology, and probably trying it out then and there. The fact that she waits this long to try it for the first time is is what threw me off. Well, I thought she said that she had tried it once, and that's it. So this is only her like second time morphing. Um, Did she say that? Well, I'm not sure. She was definitely very unexperienced. I know that. Yeah, and I, I think it would have been neat to kind of almost recreate the scene from the first book where after her family is killed, spoilers, uh, maybe her dad in his dying breath like showed her the Escafil device that he had and gave it to her. You know, or something like that. That would make a little more sense for this child having morphing technology that's brand new. 
Sure, there could have been a lot of explanations, but ultimately this one was the quickest. (laughs) Ultimately, this one? Hey, my friend had one, and we were all passing it around. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So I took a hit of the Escafil device, and... uh, Turned into a bird. I can morph. Um, So she finds a a creature called a Chadu. Chadu. A Chadu. It's like a Pokemon. Chadu. It's uh, it's like a kind of mammal-y creature that also climbs around the trees in the Hork-Bajir homeworld. Harmless kind of creature. Um, it's just good at navigating trees, and Aldrea, being an Andalite, is obviously no good in the trees, and she wants to experience it like Dakami does. Like, you know, uh, like George of the Jungle does. <laughs> yeah, and so they're, they're running around, and uh, Dak actually takes her back to the tribe tree, which is just massive, way bigger than any of the other ones. Hey, and, baby, uh, you want to see my tribe tree? <laughs> and she sees the deep. Yeah, yeah, this is where we're introduced to the concept of the deep. Father and, deep. And I mean, you know, what's in the deep? Well, terror is in the deep. Monsters. <laughs> and I just want to, I mean, I assume people have been talking about this. I haven't seen it anywhere online, but I'm, we're not going to be the first ones to bring this up. Uh, a lot of parallels to Avatar here. Avatar, yes, James Cameron's Avatar. Yeah, like a lot. Uh, giant tribe tree that's bigger than all the other ones. Uh, some of the um, mystical elements of this story are, are are very similar to kind of like you know the the tribe and Avatar and how they like connect to the forest and things like that. I don't know. It's just uh... I guess these are these are very common themes. However, throughout science fiction, so uh, on a much broader scale, things like those um, it, we're not going to be that original. <laughs> no, and I don't. I'm not one of those people who shits on Avatar. I, I think it's an amazing movie that uh, people are way too harsh on. Same thing. Every oh, James Cameron. I had a good movie, time watching it. Yeah, every time James Cameron comes out of the movie and it blows up, you have to have people who are contrarians who are like, I don't even like it. You know, it's just a rip off of Dance with Wolves. Well, you know, so are like a hundred other movies. You want to <laughs> sure. tell us? You want to tell a story about tribesmen? There's only so many few ways you can go. Exactly. Um, we get another Esplin chapter in which he's uh, given a new body, and uh, he's finally upgraded to Hork-Bajir, and the difference between Hork-Bajir and Ged is like day and night. Um, <laughs> there's a cool quote where he's like, I thought I was seeing before, this is seeing, like, <laughs> because the Ged's eyes, everybody knows, are bad. Yeah, of course. I mean, I had an eye appointment today and got new contacts, so I've actually experienced this today. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, with his new Hork Bajir body equipped, Esplin is straight up like, hell yeah, we're going to take this uh, Hork Bajir homeworld here and make it awesome. Oh, by the way, the, the Yurks are on the Hork Bajir homeworld now. <laughs> They've captured some of them. Yeah, and it's, it's I thought it was a good idea, like the how, you know, he's obsessed with Andalites and you bring that into the story that, you know, they want to know, well, if we try to take this homeworld, what kind of, what kind of, resistance are we going to have if the Andalites find out? And so he's brought into the story, and that's why he really goes there. You know, these Yurks got really lucky that they just happened to land on the Hork-Bajir homeworld. I want the book where the one Yurk unit that stole an Andalite cruiser is, like, shooting off away from the group, like, we're going to go find our own world, and they get stuck on a planet that's just absolute shit, and they all die after, like, several weeks. It's like that <laughs> butt dimension from uh, Rick and from Morty. From Rick and Morty, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a bunch of butts farting everywhere. Yeah, let's steal Rick and Morty's jokes, Coleman. Let's immediately. And <laughs> <laughs> we should. Everybody go watch Rick and Morty. It's so good. It's amazing. 
Um, um, yeah, they're on the Harkin' Home World, really. Um, Esplin's chapters don't really advance the story so much. They're just kind of about, you know, introducing the and yet your history and technology. Yeah, and yet they're some of my favorite parts of the book. Oh, definitely, like, definitely. I'm not saying they're not important. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't mishear me. Uh, Dak and Aldrea, however, uh, hear from these things called speaking trees <laughs> that uh, the Yerks have finally arrived. The speaking trees are a, a cool idea. That That's a really cool idea. Oh, definitely. It, it was really awesome in the way it was described. Well, yeah, I mean, they had the, they had, that's how they communicated, like, tribes of Horkvajir. They had these giant hollow trees that they would bang on in different ways. It was like drums in tribesmen, you know, that's, that's they had these giant trees that they would hit certain ways and it would communicate to other tribes that there's danger or something's yeah. coming or there's food, you know. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is where Aldrea, you know, runs home to try and stop uh, her father from sending off his uh, nightly report um, because the Yerks are, you know, sitting in orbit and they're going to like intercept the thing. So she's running home to try and stop him from doing this and it's going to fail astronomically. <laughs> oh, this is straight out of the first Star Wars movie. You know, Luke running home because he thinks his aunt and uncle are in danger and then finding their skeletons. <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, the Yurk Esplin and another Yurk character that may or may not be important, whose name is Carger, is also there. Um, they move in and basically attack the Andalite family with their ships blow them the hell up they blow their whole scoop up and and all the family members um it's worth mentioning i guess that aldrea was there with her dad mom and brother um one of the more funny lines i thought was when um aldrea was talking about uh her family and her brother whose name is barafin barafin believed me but he didn't care barafin was becoming depressed by the hork planet there were no other Andalites to recreate with. And of course, Andalites cannot climb trees. So she basically straight up says that her brother is mad because there's no chicks there. <laughs> well, yeah. And her brother is just like, there's no girls around. He's on his computer all the time. Yeah, he's on his <laughs> computer, like, fapping <laughs> furiously to Andalite porn. <laughs> if anybody needs me, I'll be in my bunk. <laughs> Don't come in here. <laughs> oh, this is a weird episode we're going to have for our listeners. It's, a, it's, it's this time. followed by the very prestigious Michael Grant interview. <laughs> so wacky hour here on Thoughtspeak. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, uh, so her brother probably died fapping it. To be honest, <laughs> <laughs> they're blown the hell up, and it's it's obviously a terrifying moment for Aldrea, who basically just sits there and watches helpless. Um, and it's Dakemi who's like, we got to get the hell out of here. This is no good. And he's just learning these concepts of like fighting and war. Like he doesn't, he doesn't get it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> she has to tell him like, we got to run or you're going to die. And I really like, um, I really like how Esplin is in this, uh, in this specific chapter because it's, it's him saying, okay, I know a lot about Animor or Animorphs. I know a lot about <laughs> Andalites. You know, they really need to separate those words when they wrote this book or these books. <laughs> Make it more more diverse. They needed to. But anyway, um, so he says, you know, I know a lot about Andalites. They're not all going to be in there because they don't hang out inside their scoop when they don't have to. Like, he, his knowledge of Andalites is coming in factor here, and the other Yurk just doesn't believe him. And that leads to Aldrea surviving. Sure, yeah. And they, uh, they even have to get down on the ground there um, and fight with them a little bit because this is where Dak learns how to fight. Like, he didn't have any concept of that. Aldrea had to be like... Use your blades. And then he kind of realizes, like, oh, yeah, I'm sort of a badass. <laughs> yeah. That was really interesting. Um, and they're, they're 
Aldrea's, you know, obviously very torn about what they need to do, and she's really kind of effed. <laughs> From this yeah. point, I was like, what is she gonna do? There's there's not there this is a tale of loss here, because there's absolutely nothing she can do at this point. She's stuck on an alien planet with no way well, there is one way to contact her homeworld, but it ain't pretty. And she's not aware of it, so at this point, yeah. Um because her mind is just so clouded, but Dak is able to convince her that they need to go to Father Deep to kind of hide out for a while. Um, or, or rather, that's that's her idea. Dak actually wants to go around and, and sort of, you know, confer with his Herkbajir people. Um, but Aldrea's uh, trying to convince him that, no, we should just run. They'll, they'll understand. You told that one guy that the, everybody needs to run, so he'll go tell everyone else. Yeah, <laughs> that's that what doesn't she's work out well. And they're, she... they're in the mist, and they're heading into the deep. And, yep. uh, it, I mean, obviously right here, the, all you've heard is that there's monsters and terror here. So you're waiting, waiting for something to pop up, and something does. Yeah, except it's the Yerks again. <laughs> yeah, but I'm saying, like, they show up, they're still running, you get a little action scene. Yeah, and then... there, there's monsters in the deep, obviously. One of them called a Jubba Jubba kind of sort of shows up. I mean, I mean like, the description it gives makes it seem like it's not the full creature, but I guess it is. It's just sort of sort of shaped like a hand or limb or something. Um, oh, I, I thought it was described as we're just seeing its arm reach out and grab people, and we're not yeah, seeing exactly. the whole body. That's, that's what I thought, too, but, I mean, that's a jubba-jubba, and they describe them later, and it didn't seem like it was any difference. I don't know. Point is, Eldrea fights it off a little bit. She manages to, and they escape it. Um but instead of going back to save everybody, they're like, we got to go further into the deep. And uh, as you tend to do when you explore unknown areas in alien uh, planets, they wind up finding an uh, ancient civilization. Yeah. Meanwhile, Esplin is taken back to the Yerk ship and gets yet again another new host body. Because his other one was torn apart, right? Uh, yeah, he, he got his ass kicked there by... Uh, oh, he was Dad. paralyzed. He, it broke his back. Yeah, and I really liked the chapter where, you know, he talks about, like, I had to sit here in this body with my, uh, everything below my waist was severed, and I couldn't move, and I just had to sit there for, like, three hours until they found me. <laughs> it's pretty yeah, crazy. It's really interesting. And, um, meanwhile, um, he's just thinking that entire time, just starts becoming obsessed with the idea of taking, um, Aldrea's body. Yeah, this is this is where you see uh, the obsession really start to, to form and peak. Um, and he wants himself some young and alert female body. I think that's the point of this whole book. Everybody's going after that. <laughs> Hence the cover. Oh, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, they did turn it into a kind of sort of love story. Among mm-hmm. I have my <laughs> comments on that, too. Sure, sure. Um <laughs> Hey man, it's uh, it's hey, we'll get to it in a minute. It's Stockholm syndrome, okay? <laughs> Basically, uh, no, it's not. Um, <laughs> anyway, so they uh, they wake up the next day, and uh, they end up, you know, finding this ancient civilization. Yeah, the the introduction of these guys called the Arn is handled very strangely. I thought the way that they they reach their place and it seems like they're ruins at first i thought they were going to be ruins and then they spend the night then they wake up in the morning and all of a sudden they wander in a little bit and these aren't are everywhere they're like little things i think they're they're very small and they're very there's a lot of them very <laughs> arn like 
Yeah. I Honestly, I don't know how to describe them other than <laughs> they're small, they walk all over the place, and they don't give a damn about who's in their way. Um, uh, they've got their own problems. We'll go into it later. But for right now, <laughs> they're, they're dicks, kind of. They're very dismissive of these uh, this Andalite and this Orkmajir in their midst, even though they'd never seen an Andalite before. I was like, how would they not want to fucking study this alien? I think but they're no. just so concerned with what they're doing, their job. Exactly. Keeping this world running. You they're know. so one single-minded is, mm-hmm. is the problem. Um, but basically, they're they have to kind of threaten uh, this one Arn, whose name I wrote it down phonetically is Quatsinicon. Uh, Quatsinicon sounds like a Decepticon <laughs> or something. Yeah, it does kind of. I thought it also kind of sounds like a Native American name. Quatsinicon. Quatsinicon. Okay, we're getting a little racist. What, was that racist? Uh, fuck. Well, I think we're getting a little racist. <laughs> Um, and, uh, he basically just tells them all about the Arn, everything that they've done, which was pretty much everything on the Hork-Bajir planet. They created, like, the whole balance of this planet, uh, the, the Hork-Bajir, the trees, all the stuff that's in the deep, which is designed to keep the Hork-Bajir out of the Arn's little civilization. Um, and, uh, this is also where we found out, uh... Or where, where Dak finds out, you know, that the Hork-Bajir are basically these artificial tree-tending beings that were created. Yeah, I did not see this twist coming. I, I don't no, remember I, hearing the spoiler from anyone over the years or anything. No, here's the thing. I heard people say um, the Hork-Bajir homeworld and the Arn, like I've heard the Arn mentioned, never knew the context. And this is quite the context to have. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's it's incredibly interesting, and it's uh it's even I don't know, to me I think this is one of the best parts of the book is hey main character here's your god start talking to him you know it's like this right this is what created you yeah yeah and it's so awesome that I mean they they really went into the science of the whole like reason um, why they had to do this all because uh, the trees produce a very specific type of uh, air supply that they can breathe. And it needs to be in the right balance and proportions and everything. And they are obviously not going to tend to their own trees for their air supply. So they get the, they mass produce these hork creatures to do it for them. No, it all and, made sense. I mean, to a, to a race that is obsessed with genetic engineering, which that's interesting. That's very alien uh, to that be their main kind of main kind of focus. Um, this, this all fits. All of this fits into them trying to save their world. And it's all very logical. I, I really dug it. Yeah, well, in in part, I mean, it's not really even science fiction. I mean, this happens today. We selectively breed creatures specifically for purposes very much like this. Yeah, look at South Carolina. (laughs) Was that a political (laughs) joke? I don't. It was one of the last states that had. um, uh, They were still doing genetic, um, not engineering, but manipulation on on people. Oh, good to know. Um, After after. Quatsinicon lays out uh, the whole kind of planet's backstory. Um, Dak basically, he doesn't really skip a beat. Like you said, you know, it would be great to have this whole, oh my god, you're my god, kind of uh, conversation. But there's this whole situation going on with the Yurks that Dak is so worried about. Um, he really kind of takes all this into hand and uses it as a bargaining chip, basically. Saying, you know, well, if the Hork-Bajir are so important to your species, you've got to help us deal with these Yurks, because they're going to be a big problem. And the Arn just don't give a shit. Yeah, they're kind of like, uh, I don't know why I'm making so many Star Wars references today, but uh, in episode one, 
how the uh, Gungans didn't think that the invading army was their problem because they were hidden under the sea. That's kind of what the Arn are dealing with here. They're kind of like, eh, I mean, something happens to the Horkbajir, or they get taken or whatever. We're not going to be affected. We'll just make some new species to do the same thing. Right, and here's the thing that I don't get is, how can alien species be that stupid with the amount of technology that they possess? Um, It seems like any foreign entities landing on your planet that are as intelligent and packing the same technology, if not better technology, would be something you'd want to deal with. These aren't are straight up dismissive. I think even a, when the the year year convasion is full on in later chapters. I think a regular um, story point and a message that a lot of uh, movies and TV shows and books and stuff have tried to say is that advanced technology does not necessarily equal intelligence. You know what? In or fact, wisdom, I, for that matter. I want to point out. I think this. I think. I think Applegates missed an opportunity here. That when the uh, York invasion started full on on the Horkbajir world, they could have had a chapter or, or just snuck it in in one of the later chapters where the Arn were like, "Well, I guess this whole operation's ruined. Peace out," <laughs> and then like launched on a spaceship out of there. <laughs> like that would have been awesome. Yeah, that would have been nice. But instead, they just stand by passively and do nothing. Well, because they're so obsessed with their own planets. I mean, look at this. This is a race whose planet was destroyed. And right, they, they have a long history. They're, they're obviously obsessed with staying there, to the point where you would you have space travel, and instead of finding a whole new planet that your species could live on, you go back and live in these crevices that you found a way to, you know, make livable. Well, yeah, and that goes back to the whole air supply problem. Um, I don't remember. I, don't, I didn't commit their whole history to heart, but... I remember that they had uh, problems with their, their breathing on several planets that they tried out. And this was their, their best solution was to just make a planet that fits their, you know, exclusive breathing criteria. Yeah. And I, I just, just to put this out there, since their whole technology is based around, um, you know, manipulating biology, I assume their spaceship is just some giant space whale that farts its way into the atmosphere. <laughs> <laughs> They'll sure. just climb inside. <laughs> that would be awesome. That would be awesome. Um, Very Doctor Who esque. Um, yeah, Beast Below. Man mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, Where are we, story wise? Uh, oh yeah, the the Arn are being dicks. Um, <laughs> we're cutting back to Esplin, who is um, explaining how easy it really is. While while uh, Aldrea and Dak are hanging out, the Yerks have the easiest time ever taking over the Hork-Bajir homeworld. I mean, we get it from Esplin's point of view, where he's describing how quickly they're spreading to all the tribes. And the, the Hork-Bajir are so stupid, they just, they can't do anything about it. They don't even realize. It's so easy. It's not at all like the human invasion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so one day, he's chilling by the pool with his twin. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for reading it verbatim from my notes. I wanted to say that and be all funny, but you reading it, not funny at all, is even better. <laughs> yeah, Esplin's describing how he's like chilling by the pool, the Irk pool, with his twin. Um, it's nice that we get a little mention of his twin. Like, yeah, just he's a twin because sixty-six is on his uh, part of his name, and that that identifies a Yurk as having a twin. Sure. Yeah. Exactly. As, as the readers who listen to the warning know. Yeah. Listen and uh, so out of nowhere, you know, they're, I think they had knocked over one of these speaking trees 
and were creating a yerk pool within it, which is yeah, cool. this is a really cool uh, process where they knocked down this huge tree and then like hollowed it out, I guess, kind of, or turned it into like a big bathtub, basically, mm-hmm. with uh, a lot of different pools in it. Yeah, and so out of nowhere, um, Dak and Aldrea apparently they really, really put the uh, arn to the hammer and uh, oh, yeah. gained control of an army of these father deep monsters <laughs> they're all mind controlled i mean this this uh struck me as like okay as soon as they they ran into like this uh ancient civilization like before the arn revealed themselves i was like where are they gonna go with this you know because if there's not a civilization there they can't really do much if it's just dak and aldrea mm-hmm. and this basically proved my point. I mean, the Arn weren't going to help, but they they gave the guys or gave the team uh, some mind control devices to uh, assemble this little army of creatures that they uh, used to defend the deep. And I read that list to you before, but I'm going to do it again. Um, besides the, uh, the Jubba Jubba, we also got the Galilash and the Gorks and the Lurdathak. All real, real things. <laughs> oh, and I, okay, I want to point this out. I want to take this tangent now. Um, I don't know if it's all of them, but I got the feeling. I no, have they to, all I'd have ridiculous names. No, 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 shut up. Uh, <laughs> I get the feeling, and I'd have to go back and check on this. Maybe uh, some readers can confirm this for us. I feel like at least a few of these were Visitor 3 morphs that we've seen in the series so far. Lurdathak sounds very familiar. The one with the vines from Jake's book when he morphed a jaguar. Yeah, that's this one. Yeah, that one Monster is definitely. But I think a few of the other ones too. I, I one of them, they even make a reference to having picked up a Horkbajir and bitten him in half. I feel like that might the Jubba Jubba might be what Visitor Three turns into in the first book to eat Elfangor. Really, the three fingered monster that uh, I don't know. the way it That's was all worded they say about the Jubba Jubbas. It's a three fingered monster. Maybe not the Jubba Jubba, but one of them. The way they worded it, killing a Horkbajir, it sounded like it was trying to make a reference to something and well, you know what? i really felt like it was the first book ask michael grant about it later <laughs> <laughs> yeah like he might remember that specific thing hey were you making a reference there hey, on uh page 147 of the horkbajir chronicles <laughs> um, oh but a big part of this that we skipped out on too is the fact that um they're kind of having all these horkbajir follow them aldrea and dakemi and they're ha- they told uh aldrea told all these horkbajir to watch dak and do what he does Yes, exactly. And they're like chanting this this. as they're marching towards the Yerks. Um, It's really cool. It's a really neat scene. Uh, Translate really well to a live action movie. Um, Oh, it would be spectacular in an animated series. Yes. Um, (laughs) But yeah, yeah. Like you said, they do have a little band of uh, Hork-Bajir Raiders kind of. Not a lot. And their numbers quickly dwindle here. But um, they, they... Dak is kind of showing all the other hork how to fight, and like you said, you know, they're they're really getting into it, and it's very, uh, well, very strange behavior. Meanwhile, uh, while the hork are fighting the, the controllers, Aldrea happens to make it inside a, a Yerk-stolen Andalite ship, and uh, she tries to call home. And does I mean, when I read this, I was so mad that she didn't lock the door when she went in the first time. I knew someone was going to come up behind her. And I was just like, lock the door. You're in the middle of a fight. People are going to see what you're doing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, of course, Esplin gets in there and he tries to fight her. And she uh, she morphs a Jubba Jubba. Uh, yeah. <laughs> which is enough to do it. 
Yeah, yeah. And she does manage to get a call in. And she, yeah, she reveals uh, the morphing technology to the Yerks, who'd never seen them before. Uh, so well, that's... yeah, and I mean, I'm surprised he didn't have a bigger reaction to it. Can, is <laughs> it safe to say this is uh, Aldrea's kindness? <laughs> sure. He almost gets her body there. Yeah. Um, I thought for a brief second, like, oh, man, maybe maybe Visitor 3 is going to have, like, a, an Aldrea body for a very short period of time or something. But no, no. Nope. No, it was really cool, though. But now we get this cool little... Uh, time jump uh where they spend you know they leave they were successful they got called into the andalites but the andalites tell them you know we don't know when we can get there and aldrea doesn't really know if uh if the um past and space had changed so it might take longer for them to get there yeah so, yeah there, there's a lot of factors basically and they have to spend seven uh seven seven months hiding out um, basically training their little army in in their guerrilla warfare um but they're quickly losing the war uh, as the Yurks are expanding, their empires taking over pretty much the whole planet by this point. Um, by the time the Andalites finally show up, uh, the 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 war is, for all intents and purposes, pretty much lost. And of course, they're complete and utter dicks to Dak right off the bat because, like Andalites tend to do, they judge him as an inferior being, less intelligent. Blah blah blah. Andalites are so damn haughty. Yeah, and there's two really cool parts of this uh, that I think play into the series overall. First off, if you had been reading the books, you know, just in their order, and you hadn't read anything after this, really, really cool to see what you've wanted to happen in the main series this whole time is the Animorphs to show or not, damn it, the Andalites <laughs> to show yeah. up. Um, it's, it's, it's really awesome that it's like, oh, this is what we've been waiting for. The Andalites are going to show up and save them, just like they will the humans on Earth. And the Andalites do a horrible job, don't bring enough people, and, you know, obviously what they're about to do is crazy. But, right, yeah. But you get, the second part... You get part, the impression that the Andalites are just completely scattered at this point. And the second cool thing about this is how well it's uh, mimicked in the end of the series, how the Andalites show up, and they have the conundrum of, well, why don't we just wipe off Earth off the map? Um, this is They deal with those questions in this book well before the end of the series. Oh, yeah, dude, this is foreshadowing to the extreme. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Not the extreme, the book, but the extreme. No. <laughs> uh, just Later you know. on, we will foreshadow the extreme. <laughs> it's coming up quick, actually. Um, here we also find out that the Yerks are creating some sort of blade-like ship. <laughs> yeah, again. <laughs> that resembles cool. a, a Herkvajir's blade. It's a blade ship. It's a blade <laughs> get ship. it? Does everybody get, get it? it? Aleron is there once again. He's he's the one who returns. Aleron is you know pretty prevalent throughout this whole series. Um, he comes back and tells them, you know, we're all kind of screwed because Andalite ships aren't coming for a very very long time. He lays out the situation um, flat out how scattered the Andalites are currently. Um, <clears throat> we jump back to Esplin, who is uh, quickly working his way up the system. Um, he's made it up to Subvisor 12, and he is uh, still leveling. <laughs> uh, he's just been kind of leading his charge, you know, doing his thing. The, the characters are still hanging out in the Arn civilization. The Andalites are there as well. The Arn are still trying their best to ignore everybody and stay out of the plot. <laughs> yeah, and again, like we said, the Andalites showed up with a uh, not a big enough force. Uh, no, so they're very much having to hide out as well. <laughs> yeah, and so they sent out for reinforcements, but... Like they said, everything's changed, and it's going to take twice as long for even the reinforcements to get there. 
So the Andalites are often kind of their own little corner, like figuring out how they're going to win this war and not. And they're starting to keep secrets from Dakemi and, and Aldrea. Yeah, um, it's it's getting a little intense, a little, a little tension there, just a little little <laughs> tension. Well, you just look at the way that they treat Dak and it looks like America in the 1950s. You know what I mean? Yeah, like you some know sort what of, I mean? like some sort of alien. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying there's some racism, buddy. Yeah, well, I mean, there's some, um, you know, they're they're fighting this war. And technically, the Andalites are on the side of the Hork-Bajir, but more so they're just on the side of the Andalites and, and doing anything to screw over the Yurks as possible. Right, yeah, that's their, their modus operandi here. And as soon as Dak finds out that they're hiding stuff from him, specifically behind a big door, um, he immediately suspects Aldrea, and we should probably mention that Aldrea's had quite the character arc. Um, at the beginning of the book, I will say she starts out as a very unlikable protagonist. Um, she often makes the wrong decision, and she's just kind of a dummy. But um, <laughs> it's at this point where Dakemi has formed his impressions of her that you know. Andalites are all about their people, and that's ultimately all she cares about. And he even accuses her of this, and they have a bit of a, a falling out um, until she's like, no, you know what? I, I'm with you all the way, and I would die with you, and I'm going to fucking prove this to you right now. <laughs> and she has a streak, I think even more so than Axe, which I kind of like, that she's full-on Andalite. I mean, she will lie to you to manipulate you. Because her people are all that really matters. And even in this moment, we find out later, in this moment, saying that she'll die with him, she doesn't really mean it. She's just trying to get him to help her. Right, yeah. Again, at this very point, she's like, okay, what have I got to do now to get my little servant buddy under control? But once they get inside the lab and discover what's actually been going on, she she does have this very important change of heart. Yeah, it's, it, it's a faltering in the greatness of her species and, and not realize that they would go this far, that they have changed and aren't the noble race that she believes them to be. You know, the Andalites, much like humans, sometimes can be dicks and we mm -hmm. have to go through quite an ordeal until we learn. What's the universe really important is full inside. of dicks. This is the, uh, this is the Animorphs, what it's really trying to pose on children in middle grade ages. Uh, <laughs> sure. You know, don't, don't trust anyone. They're probably creating a virus to wipe out your family. <laughs> it's what I work on in my spare time. Speaking of which. Uh, exactly. Um, this, you know, it surprised me, but that's only because I forgot that they talked about it earlier in the series. Um, they've mentioned this virus before, right? Oh, I was, I was waiting for this. I knew this was coming the entire book I was reading it. Well, yeah, and I, you know, I had managed to put it to the back of my mind and forget about it until... The point where they mentioned, oh, yeah, there's a secret kept behind doors. Then I was like, oh, yeah, the fire ends. I mean, I don't, I don't <laughs> see how you could forget this one. This is like the entire reason Aleron is a war criminal. Well, yeah, and, and that was also a big part of it. This is, yeah, how Aleron basically has his fall from grace. Mm -hmm. Poor guy, dude. He's just had it rough. Just rough. Poor guy. <laughs> he really is, you know? Yeah. Um, you get worn around like a Halloween costume year-round every day. <laughs> See how you feel. I feel like that's his penance. Thank you very much. <laughs> sure, sure. There you go. Uh, they, um, Aldrea, you know, gets wind of this plan and is like, oh, hell no. And uh, she takes the virus. Kind of a risky move, but 
She takes it. It's in a convenient little carrying case, so why not? And just in case you're one of the few people who are reading or are listening to this series and not reading the books along with us and just just love our voices. Just think we're the best. Um, this this virus is specifically engineered to wipe out the Horkvajir race. Oh, yeah. The, it's, with it's the a thought process, The thought process is that um, if we can take the host bodies away from the Yerks, the Yerks are less powerful. So here's one way to do it. Yeah. Um, no, uh, it's a solid plan, you know, aside from genocide and whatnot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. It is the ultimate way to stop your foe. But, you know... It's it's a dick move, is what it it's, is. Vietnam was bad, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, that's, that's <laughs> what you should be taking from this book. <laughs> um, uh, where are we? Oh, man, we are so close to the end. We're getting there. Uh, they steal the device, and they're like... Well, we got to destroy this thing. That's the only way we can really ensure that, you know, the Horkajir aren't destroyed in this way. Um, and they get out of there and they just run. And this is when, you know, we're really coming to the climax. The Yurks start to invade with all their big fighters and their blade ships. And um, it's they're, they're forcing Eldrea and Dak to basically flee from the Arns city once more. Um, however, in their, their last, you know, kind of battle here... Aldrea's going to finally morph this uh, female hork that she acquired a little bit earlier earlier on in the book, which you knew was going to happen oh, later. Oh, yeah. The second it happened, I was like, <laughs> okay, here's here's how they're setting up the Romeo and Juliet portion of this book. Sure, yeah. That, that's very much what it is. Um, yeah, Aldrea finally... And, you know, I like this, ultimately. As weird as maybe we'll think it is, uh, ultimately it makes sense for these, these two people. I won't even call them... Aliens, I won't call them characters, I'll call them people. Two people in this moment that feel what they feel. She can become a hork why not? Yeah, I mean, I would love this, and I actually do love this in the context of the book. I just wish we hadn't already seen it before, you know, in a well, in another Chronicles yeah, book. Yeah, I, yeah, but you know, romance is important, Coleman. <laughs> they gotta put I mean, some romance in here somewhere. I never realized, it, it's it's... This book series is very prominent, the kind of pushing of the whole interracial thing, which I guess because of when I was born, that doesn't seem like that big of a deal to me that it needs to be pushed. But I, when this was written, I guess it was still pretty um, taboo for there to be a lot of interracial relationships. So that's why this I series guess. pushes you know, it so hard. I would take it a little bit further than looking at it as a, as a simple romance You mean looking further than skin story. deep? <laughs> sure. Um this is this is really a story about two uh two beings that feel like they're the only ones of their species in this place. You know, Aldrea's the only Andalite on the planet, and Dakimi, he says himself, he's not like the other Horkvajir. He's he's his own thing. So they're both isolated uh souls here, essentially. Um and they're in such a desperate situation that, you know, uh feelings happen. Coleman? Yeah. <laughs> You just have to explain it to me sometime, you know? Well, after after we we're done recording. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Um, but anyway, so, so yeah, they even kiss. It's crazy. They're, they're falling in love. Um. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know about that. I think they both know they're pretty boned here at this point. Um, they even end up getting caught by Esplin, and um, he. this is the part where he almost manages to get inside Eldrea, but he is stopped. By what? That's not in my nose, Coleman. He stopped. It's a struggle. <laughs> Things are happening. <laughs> I just wanted to call you out on that. Yeah, I know you did. You dick. <laughs> Don't be like the Arn. 
<laughs> the, moving on. The heroes take control they, of the ship they, and they win. They foiled Esplan here. And <laughs> the heroes have taken control of the ship, but they end up crashing anyway. See, that's the thing. They're in a ship, Coleman. They're flying around. They're crashing. Yeah, things are happening. They're doing barrel rolls. Who knows? Things are, it's like um, Star Fox here. Yeah, and so didn't it say specifically that Esplan gets like thrown into a river or something? Yeah, uh, he gets. Yeah, yeah, he does get. It's like the, the go-to ship. way to save a yerk in the book series. <laughs> well, a, a nearby stream. He got into it. Oh, that happens. That happened before in the mm-hmm. the first Axe book. Yeah, where um, Axe morphs <laughs> the snake to try to kill him. Yeah. Yep. The exact same. It was probably the same river. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and well, welcome to my review here later on here a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, well, the the good news is the heroes managed to survive this little spaceship crash conundrum. However, in the accident, the container of virus kind of may have sort of been breached. I pictured it like the uh, the bottle of ooze in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, exactly. Open. Yeah, just like that. <laughs> and, 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 you know, okay, this is such a great scene here because they crawl out of the wreckage of the ship and they're like, oh, cool, we're alive, yay. Oh, shit, what about the virus? And then there's like one other Horkbajir who's like, hey, is this what you're looking for? And, like, they describe what happens to him. He quickly, you know, dies. He, like, disintegrates, basically, but... Yeah, it's a hell of a virus. I know, yeah, exactly. It would have been a very funny uh, visual gag if they'd done it right. Luckily, Aldrea, and Aldrea's trapped at this point, right? She's in the offlet. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, this is where she basically decides, well, screw it. Yeah, and Work she... Work for life! Mm-hmm. And she, uh, they're both downwind, thankfully. So they just start running from the virus. It's, this book yeah, basically turns into the happening. Of, <laughs> they managed to save a few remaining free hork but they're basically on this dying planet, and that's the that's the end, really, of the story. We know where it goes from here. Yeah, it's it's a cool way that you can do an ending and, and wrap things up without actually showing writing. the characters' deaths. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a very um, I, I like these kinds of endings. It's it's a it becomes a tragedy. Yeah, exactly. It's a great place to leave off here, even though we do get the little stinger. But I will go ahead and assume that for the rest of their days, uh, Dak and Aldrea basically did it Horkbajir style. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Till the end of days. And yet another character is born of multiple races. Exactly. Kind of. Sort of. Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. No, it is. Uh, okay, sure. Um, the stinger here at the end is, um, yeah, Tobias, who has just spent the entire night in the Horkbajir Valley Listening to this story, I guess it took all night. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Jeremy is just and uh, wrapped up telling the story. And uh, this is basically the point where he kind of turns to his uh, daughter, Toby, and is like, oh, yeah, by the way, new seer right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a cool reveal at the end. It's like, and another seer has been born, which, like I said, leads to like the, oh, shit, what's going down that another seer has to be born to lead the Horkbajir. Um, yep. Yep, exactly. It's and, a cool um, ending of the story. It is, and like I said, uh, <laughs> I'm almost kind of disappointed now at you know Toby's interactions in in the Pretender that we just got done reviewing. Well, she's just starting out. She's she's a new leader. She doesn't know what she's doing. Oh no, I know. We need more. We need more Toby, basically. And we'll get it. We'll get it. It's coming. Yeah, I mean, I, I almost wish they would have done more at the free Horkbajir than what they did at the end of the series. But um, sure, you know, maybe yeah. they'll do more with them in the Ghostwritten books that we just don't know yet. It's possible. You never know. But uh, that is the wrap-up on the Horkbajir Chronicles. Wow. Good book. Yeah, it's it's a really good book. And if you don't mind, I'd like to jump right into my review. 
No, man, take it away. Okay. So, I mean, I I, I got in a little trouble with the uh, Animorphs community for my last review of The Pretender. Um, people weren't thrilled about that, but I, this this book series and us reading it is about critique. It's not really, we're not really trying to reach out to Michael Grant and Kay Applegate, although we are, and, uh, you know, tell them what they did wrong or whatever. This series was written perfectly for what it needed to be at that time and for who it was for. This is, this is an amazing book series. We're just not interested in sitting over here and being nostalgic for, you know, 75 episodes and just waxing off on the series. So we're going to pick it apart a little bit. And uh, in Hork Bajir Chronicles, I have a bit to pick apart. I think it borrows a ton of elements from former books, especially the Andalite Chronicles. You've got this interspecies relationship. You've got the stain in Morph so that you can be one with their race, so that you can be in love. And uh, even though I like that they did the love story differently in this, in the fact, in the fact that they were, um, they weren't truly, like, really deeply in love. It was like this really tight friendship um, that they didn't trust each other all the time. It was, it was a war relationship you could you could actually talk a lot about you know cassie and jake's relationship based on this one um and the fact that so much of it was pulled so much of the story in general is pulled from uh this vietnam analogy it's it's an incredibly interesting book but i think too many elements we've already seen in the series and maybe this is getting into the ghostwritten books i mean this is where they started running out of ideas and they started pulling from what they've already done uh, i don't think it takes away from the story that much i just i noticed it quite often and the other thing I, I didn't really like about this book is how badly it's trying to convince you that it's a prequel. It's like, oh, we just created the blade ship, and oh, the Yurks, you know, they, they're just spreading out, and they're doing this, and oh, we just created subvis. Everything with the Yurks and creating their hierarchy and starting out the Empire is incredibly interesting. I just, just didn't wish it happened 40 years before this book took place. Um, and there's just so much that it's just so hitting you over the head with, do you see what we're doing? Do you see what we're doing? We take place before the Animorphs, you know? It, it got really annoying. That said, I think this book is excellent. I think it's incredibly interesting, and I think we get a lot out of it that we want to hear about the Yurks and starting out in this, this war and how it started out. And um, for that reason, I will give it four out of five prequel blade ships. Um, <clears throat> yeah, okay. I, I think it's, that makes I, sense. I think it's still really, really good. I just had to knock off a star for, for my little qualms. Okay. Is that all? Have you spoken your piece? Uh, my piece is spoken. Well, uh, you're, you're pretty right on. I mean, this is, like we said earlier, all the questions we had before having not read this book were answered here. We got to see a lot of it. The whole start of the entire war. Ciro's kindness. We see it all. Like you'd mentioned, I, I do wish we had a separate book for that. A lot of the, the issues that you pointed out between the similarities of this and other stuff that we'd seen before, I guess I'm willing to excuse it a little bit more just because I know that the time crunch that they were working on these things, they were basically putting out book after book after book after book, month after month after month. They basically made this series their life. And when you're in that kind of like scheduling crunch, you can't give things the amount of thought that you would necessarily if they were releasing, say, one book every year. I mean, the series would take forever, obviously, if they were doing 63, but uh, point is, I, I think maybe just because of time constraints, they weren't able to give the level of thought that we were hoping for in this long-spanning uh, story about an intergalactic war, um, and they made the time frame, you know, a little unstable there. 
I don't think that's that's the story's fault necessarily. Walking away from this thing, I felt really good about reading it. I enjoyed the whole thing. It it managed to throw some surprises in there. The characters, the protagonists, I should say, Aldrea, for not even being a likable protagonist, you at least had Dak there, who was likable, and kind of picked up the slack for Aldrea. Um, and I'm very glad to see that Aldrea had that very much needed change of heart at the end, um, which kind of really sold you on it. Mm-hmm. And the, the relationship thing doesn't bother me in the slightest. Um, I think it's only natural, in fact, for just sentient life forms to find some kind of connection and have that in such a, you know, disturbing time that, that makes it so much more real to me. I don't think, I don't think it felt forced. Uh, that said, I mean... I had a great time reading this whole book. I didn't have a, a lot of problems. The, the the only problems I pointed out were the ones along the way. The Arn, I, I thought, were kind of unrealistic in their narrow-mindedness, not caring about all these foreign aliens suddenly landing on their planet, thinking that they're not going to disrupt their precious ecosystem. Uh, that part was very unrealistic. I realized why they did it, because of the whole backstory, which is very cool and very important, but... Um, I feel like they just missed a little bit of an opportunity there with the Arn. Uh, regardless, man, I devoured this book, had a great time with it. Um, I thought it was everything essential you need to the lore and understanding the history of Animorphs. It's all right here in this book. I think it's essential reading. Honestly, if you're going to reread the series, this is something you would want to include. Um, unless maybe you're just trying to get to the end as fast as possible. Uh, in that regard, this would be the exact opposite of it in that it is the book that takes place. In the very beginning, aside from the Elemis Chronicles. Uh, walking away from it, though, I felt really good. I give it a five out of five Jubba Jubbas. Ooh, Jubba Jubba. Um, I will say that the most interesting thing about this book is that um, it makes you care so much more about the hork and especially the free hork because um, you see that from the beginning, from literally their creation, the hork have just been used. And they were used by the Arn. They were yes. They yes. were that exactly. Yeah, they were used by the Andalites. They they were completely the entire race taken over the Yurks, and the entire race is just a slave to the Yurks now. It's 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 a pretty sad idea that this race never got a foothold for themselves. Exactly. Um. You you really get the <laughs> the sense of how screwed over these poor Hork-Bajir are. Like, uh, when we go forward here, maybe for the next book, probably not for the rest of them, I might feel a little bit more sympathetic when they're like, and then I slash this hork throat. <laughs> I'll be like, oh, that was probably like Tim Flimflam or whatever. He had a little <laughs> plushy Jubba Jubba growing up. <laughs> um, uh, well, now I'd like to do something that we haven't done in a long time. And I'm surprising uh, Mitchell with this, too. He doesn't know I'm going to do this. Uh, I'm going to pull it's out. It's like a proposal. <laughs> I'm going to pull out some emails. Um, oh, emails? Yeah. With real questions? Yeah, we've got time for a few of these. Then we need to jump off here because we've got a little interview with Michael Grant, creator of the yeah, Animorphs. It's coming up soon. Yeah. So real quick. So uh, first off, i got Jacob Rosenberg uh, with a Tobias question. Ooh. Uh, hey, guys. Huge listener. I just finished listening to Book 18 with Axe. Good job and keep it up. Um, I have a question for you that I've thought about for a while. Don't you think the Kansas song, Carry On My Wayward Son, is basically Tobias in a nutshell? Think about the lyrics. Once I rose (laughs) above the noise and confusion, just to get a glimpse beyond this illusion, I was soaring ever higher, but I flew too high. Yep. Though my eyes could see, I still was a blind man. Though my mind could think, I was still a madman. 
I hear the oh, voices yeah. when I'm dreaming. I can hear them say, carry on. <laughs> carry on my wayward son. Uh, there will be peace when you are done. And by the way, I would like to point out, uh, what was the, the guy's name? Jacob Rosenberg. Jacob Rosenberg. I saw your comment on Reddit. <laughs> I saw I saw it. Um, yes, I, I thought of that instantly. As soon as I saw your, your comment, I thought, yeah, this song really does describe him. Um, and I do listen to that song quite frequently in my yeah. car. <laughs> he, he thought that was interesting and would love to chat more about Animorphs with you, too. Keep up the good work. And then he gave me, like, way too much personal information, like phone number and email and all this other stuff. Okay. Well, you know what? Here, <laughs> uh, I, I will go one step further, and I will say, uh, if, if if Carry On My Wayward Son is Tobias's quote-unquote theme song, uh, I would I would propose a theme song. Well, I would like to propose theme songs for the entirety of the team, but I just don't have that prepared. But right off the top of my head, I could say the Yorks theme song should be the song uh, I Could Walk in Your Mind by The Cell. Or, or The Servant. I'm sorry. The Servant. I Could Walk in Your Mind. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, You can tell by the, <laughs> the title of the song. Yeah. It's, it's quite fitting for the Yerks. Exactly. So, <laughs> Listen to it on your own time. So now we've got an email. This is the only other one because it's kind of long. Uh, from Tub- Toby, uh, sorry, Toby Goldsteinholm. So we've got a Toby here. Right? It's very good for this episode. Um, perfect his subject line was huge fan um hey guys i just finished pretty much marathoning through everything you guys have released i drive three to four hours a day pretty regularly for work so super excited to get started on the show and i'm quite sad at the slower pace you guys have been going at for the past four or five episodes i know real life gets in the way sometimes but i assure you there are dedicated people waiting desperately for 23 so we, we'd already released that we're, we're good on oh that. fear not toby yeah so you're a seer you've, you've seen this anyway yeah yeah <laughs> so and we're uh I think we're going to be on a pretty regular schedule now, probably. Um, but I'm in the same boat as you guys when it comes to the series, though I'm a couple years younger than you. He's 23. Uh, I was still reading them all the way through to the end. At one point, I owned every book other than number 49, which was a big one to miss since that's where they get discovered and all that. Anyway, point being, listening to the show has been fan- a fantastic way to look back at the series and enjoy it. I'll be honest. I really miss the longer format you guys used at the beginning. I think for book 13, the show was almost two hours, and that was great. Well, it's hard. It's a little hard for us, Toby. Um, <laughs> if you would like, that's true. You, we can put out shows regularly, or we can have three-hour episodes. You got to pick one. Um, <laughs> see- uh, no, it's actually very easy for us to to have two or three-hour-long episodes because we can talk that long to each other. We have no problem doing that. Yeah. Anyway, I'm gonna skip a couple paragraphs of his uh, um, email, but he says anyway. Best of luck and everything, guys. I'll see you on the sub. Uh, he's user Merkin, and I can't wait until the next book. Regards to Goldstein. Uh, P.S. Whatever episode it was where a fi- fan said it was hard to find the email address, they're right. Took some searching. It's pretty standard to have it in the footer of the webpage. Might be worth just dropping it there. I have to listen to the end of the episode to get it. Well, I'm sorry, Toby. <laughs> uh, we should, maybe we should put that somewhere else. I, no, I guess. no, I will not concede to this. <laughs> Screw you all. The info bits are right there on every single page. If you go to our website, they're there. You can yeah, find it. That's a good point. It is not hard to find our website or our email address. People just aren't reading the uh, the actual subject matter of each uh, episode post, I guess. Well, that or, or maybe people just generally don't know. We have a website, people. Yeah. It's thoughtspeakcast.com. Well, he, he knows we do because he says, he says that we should put it in the footer of our website. So I don't know why he had a hard time. Um, I don't either know why way, anyone's having a hard time finding this. Either way, Toby, we're glad that you're listening to us. Uh, definitely don't mind giving a shout on the show because uh, you've been sending us a couple messages, and uh, we're really happy that so many new people have come on board just in the last few episodes. So hopefully they're enjoying the podcast and they're going to enjoy it even more 
now that we're getting into the ghostwritten books, have some better audio, and are about to, you know, interview the creator of the book series. So, hell yeah! And you know what? If uh, we ever have time again to read emails, pff, keep sending us emails, people. Yeah, we've got a few. I, I just weren't. I wasn't reading them because I was trying to keep the uh, episodes down to a reasonable time. <laughs> well, you know what? I will say you read them very quickly and efficiently there, my friend. Okay. Well, then we, maybe we should keep it up. Do us more. Maybe. You know who I miss? Craven Airgeist. Where'd he go? Oh, yeah. There's a few people who don't comment on Reddit anymore. It makes me sad. What about Narrative Casualty? Narrative Casualty uh, commented the other day, I think. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Yeah, see, we're getting to know you people. I mm-hmm. mean, it's like it's almost like we're a community or something. Yeah, I mean, I just think I mean, it's not up to. It's, I know that our podcast isn't going to make Animorphs popular again or bring it back, but I feel like things like what we're doing are the road to getting like a movie or something. You know, it's 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 more people talking about Animorphs again, getting their friends interested. Um, you guys, it's, it's building the hype and it is getting the word out there about Animorphs and trying to make it a thing. It is literally our version of Jihad. That's oh, what it is. Oh my it's gosh. Just, just what is wrong the with info you? out there. What is wrong with you? <laughs> uh, no, it's our version of, um, you know, they're making all these movies about the eighties toys and, uh, you know, nineties series and books and remaking this and remaking that. Oh gosh. If you Everything's want a gonna be sequel remade. to Animorphs, if you want a true Hollywood Animorphs movie, uh, we gotta build this thing back up. We gotta invite people to the subreddit. We gotta, you know, not be complete nerds and scare everybody away from it. So, exactly. We have to do this right so that they don't do it wrong. Because they're gonna get their hands, someone's gonna get their hands on the property eventually, and they're gonna yes, try, it's only a matter of time, and they're gonna try to make some money off it. So we can either be a voice in that and try to have some control over it, or we can. Uh, just wait for it to happen, and then and complain hope about that it. it's good. Yeah, hope Michael Bay turns it into something worth watching. Yeah, it's uh, Roland Emmerich's Animorphs. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so I think we're gonna wrap this up because we got an interview to do. So uh, if you want to, if you want to shoot us an email, if you want to talk to us, uh, it's thoughtspeakcast at gmail dot com. Uh, our website is thoughtspeakcast.com. Um, you can hit us up on there. We have comment sections, all that. We're very active on the uh, subreddit for Animorphs. That's uh, reddit.com slash r slash Animorphs. And uh, we have a Facebook page and a Twitter. We have all these ways you can reach out to us. I'm going to start reading Twitter's uh, tweet messages on the air as well and everything else. So, Ooh, good idea. By the way, all of this information conveniently found on the website. Check it out. Seriously. So serious. Dot You're a hardcore fan? Really? Check the website. Thoughtspeakcast.com. Also, yeah, and uh, just and we mentioned in the past that uh, that Mitchell is on another podcast. That's the Talking Evil Dead podcast, where they talk about Evil Dead. Heck uh, yeah, homie! <laughs> Ash vs. Evil Dead, brand new series, TalkingEvilDead.com. Coleman, why don't you tell them about your brand new podcast idea? Yeah, I, I'm really enjoying your all's podcast, especially now that you're getting into the movies. Um, so, but, uh, but yeah, we have uh, me and my friend Kyle, who also went to film school with me and Mitchell, uh, we are about to launch a brand new podcast called Tokyo Lives, a giant monsters podcast. So if you're a Godzilla fan, like old school into the old uh, kaiju films, if you like new stuff like Pacific Rim or Cloverfield uh, or the new Godzilla movie or the new Toho Godzilla movies that are coming out. Uh, <laughs> Basically, if you like giant men in costumes, our- trashing model <laughs> city sets, this is going to be your thing. Our tagline is literally we'll discuss anything over 50 feet tall. So, um, <laughs> so hit us up. We're going to be on uh, Tokyo 
Tokyo Lives Cast. Uh, oh, Tokyo Lives Podcast dot com. Okay. Yeah, um, you don't need to plug that just yet if it's not actually available. Oh yeah, don't go there yet. Well, by the time this is up, I'm gonna have some content on there. Um, oh, you should. Okay. Yeah. So we're we're, we're we're recording one of the first episodes tonight. So we'll get to Excellent. it. Excellent. Perfect. Good. Plug it all you want, my friend. Mm-hmm. So yeah, look forward to that. We'll announce it proper when you can actually go there, and there'll be multiple episodes and everything. But Anyway, so we'll wrap this up. Hope you guys have enjoyed our uh, Hork Bajir Chronicles episode. I know we were really looking forward to this one, so I hope it uh, I hope it turned out well for you guys and you enjoyed us talking about it. Definitely. We're so excited. And you know what? Moving on here, we have ghostwritten books. We have uh, books that you and I have never read. In particular, we are moving on to some Helmicrons, which I have never experienced. You have. Uh, not this book, though, right? Uh, yeah. You said book. you did. Helmicrons uh, did this next book. Yeah, I know, but I thought you said you read the second Helmicron book. Not I'm the first pretty one. sure I've read the second one. I don't think I've read the first one, but maybe. Who knows? Okay. Well, yeah, we'll find out. Yeah. You'll find out with us, dear listener, as we review uh, book number 24? Four? Mm-hmm. I can't see it. I yeah, can't see it's it. 24. It's 24. 24. Yeah, The Suspicion. Next time on Thought Speak. <laughs> <laughs>